let's go to the Lord in, in prayer and ask his blessing over the word as it's read. Ask his blessing over our church. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for the, the health to be here. I'm thankful, Lord, for the freedom to be here. I'm thankful, Lord, for this church. I'm thankful, Lord, for the body of Christ. Lord, most of all, Lord, this morning, I'm thankful, Lord, for your grace, your love, your mercy, and, Lord, your presence with us today. Thank you for that. Father, I stand up here, and, Lord, I, I know I'm not worthy. But, oh, Lord, I love you, and you are, Lord, you can take the imperfect and you can use this word as I present it, Lord, and touch folks' hearts. Lord, I just ask, Lord, that you would help me, Lord, just to step aside and just trust in you and your leadership. Put your word, Lord, on my lips to say it as you would have me to say it. Lead me to the scriptures you would want me to read. I pray, Father, Lord, for our hearts that everyone's hearts here this morning would be open and receptive to your word. And Father, I pray, Lord, for the greatest need of all, if there'll be somebody here today that does not know you as their Savior, that today something said or something done or something sung would pierce and break up that stony heart. And I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that they accept you as Savior. Father, please be with us today. Please be with this message. Have your will and way. Amen. Last week, we were talking about the storms in our lives and how real they are. Primarily, we focused on those storms that come into our life as a result of disobedience. Whether it be disobedience of our own lives or disobedience because of somebody else's disobedience. You know, we get caught up in other people's storms. As the good brother talked about, our sin has effect on not just us, but our family and our, our, those around us. But today, for as long as God leads us, we're going to be talking about the storms that come into our life. Not because of disobedience, but because of obedience. Now, this morning, we will be receiving our text out of all four Gospels. This allows us to take advantage of multiple perspectives. Now, this allows us to kind of piece together, to have a full picture of all the events as they unfold. You see, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I've had to glean much of what I hope to share with you today from a lot of different resources, pastors and teachers. But that is exactly what I hope to do today, and that is rightly divide the word of truth. So we're going to start this morning by providing some necessary background and context. And we'll find that initially in the book of Mark, chapter 6, 
verses 7 through 13. An almost identical account to this is given to us over in the book of Luke, chapter 9. But what we find here in verse 7, it says, He summoned, who he? Jesus summoned the twelve, twelve who? The twelve apostles, the twelve disciples. And began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. But now he's going to give them some very specific instructions. He says, uh, don't take anything else with you. Don't take any bread. Don't take a traveling bag. Don't take any money in your belts. Just wear your sandals and don't even take a change of clothing. They were to go out and essentially just depend on God to meet their needs. To be obedient. They were and they did. And as a result, God blessed them. There in the 13th verse it says, So they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Now it is at this point scripturally that we read the account of the murder of John the Baptist. Now this has a very profound effect on Jesus. In Matthew chapter 14 verse 13 it says, When Jesus heard about it, heard about what? Heard about the death, the murder of John the Baptist. He withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Now chronologically... And it's, it's kind of hard to get the chronological stuff together when you're looking at all four Gospels. But there are aids out there, chronological Bibles, and it takes some study. But it's, it's beneficial today in our message. Because I want us to kind of put ourselves in the mindset of those 12 apostles, of those 12 disciples. Chronologically, this appears to have taken place, the murder of John the Baptist. While those 12 apostles were out... Or just as they were returning. Some scholars believe the news of John the Baptist's death was actually brought to Jesus by those 12 returning apostles. Upon their return, they rushed to Jesus full of excitement to explain all the great things they had done. And we read that in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. But in verse 31... Jesus seeing a great need in their life, also, I believe, still feeling the need from hearing the words of John the Baptist, about John the Baptist, he says to them, come away by yourselves. This is chapter 6 of Mark, verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a remote place to rest for a while. This, although not part of our message, is part of our message. There is a need for us to get away, to rest and recharge. The things we go through, even while being obedient to Christ, takes a wear and, and, and a toll on our bodies, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you don't get time away to rest and to recharge from that, if you can't, listen, you have to take care of yourself before you can properly take care of others. That's why I'm so thankful that we were able to send our pastor and his wife away to go and get rest and recharge. Because of the work they do is so vital to this community, to this church, and to those all else. I mean, they, they're, they're working and counseling with folks more than just people inside Brookside. They, they help a lot of folks, and that takes a, some, some uh, effort, and it takes a toll on their lives. So being able to get away and rest and recharge is vital. 
So he says to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. And he notices this. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. That's how busy they were. Now it's at this point, while they were trying to distance themselves, while they were trying to get away and and find a place where they could rest and be alone and get prayed back up, A large group of people gathered together, and we have recorded for us in all four Gospels the miracle of the 5,000 being fed. And this is now where we come to the focus text of our message. And we're going to be reading primarily, uh, I believe, from Matthew chapter 14. And, of course, like I said, we're going to be jumping around a little bit. But if you want to follow, follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. The word of God says, immediately, he made the disciples to get in the boat to go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Immediately. Immediately after what? Immediately after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And by the way, it was more than 5,000. Matthew reveals to us that that 5,000 number only included men. It did not include women and children. Concern, a very conservative estimate would be there was probably anywhere between 10 to 12,000 people there. And I have read estimates as many as 20,000. Either way, even if, even if it was just 5,000, this was a tremendous miracle that had just taken place. And these disciples of Jesus who had just returned from a long trip, they just witnessed this. Thousands were fed full by the multiplication of just a few fish and loaves. Man, there was a lot of excitement going on at this time, right? When they were having one heck of a church service. I mean, I've been in some church services where I, I mean, we had one a couple weeks ago. I just didn't want to leave. You just don't want to believe. I mean, that's what's happened, place. You know, we, we see these reports and we watch these videos. Man, that, it's even on regular nightly news now, talking about what's going on up there at that Asbury University and the revival is taking place, which all started from a, a church service in which people decided, I just don't want to leave. And they kept going and kept going. They were having a church service. People just didn't want to leave. God had just fed them. Man, I tell you what, you start passing out cheeseburgers after church, people won't be leaving either. People won't be so quick to run out the doors. However, in spite of all this excitement, Jesus seeks out to get alone. And again, even though all this is happening, he still desires to get alone. So he sends his disciples out on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now again, think about this for a moment from the perspective of the 12 disciples. This is where I want to put your mindset at. They've been obedient and were blessed uh, with a successful and a fruitful mission as a result. But they're tired. They're hungry. And most likely emotionally confused, worried about the reports of John the Baptist. Okay? They're hearing these reports too. 
Man, this shook a lot of folks. When John the Baptist was killed and the way he was murdered, this would have, this would have shook the very foundations of what a lot of people perceived was taking place. But immediately, instead of getting an opportunity to rest, before even getting an opportunity to eat, they're pressed right back into service. Right back into service. To say at this point that they were physically, emotionally, and spiritually fatigued would be an understatement. Now what happens when you get spiritually, physically, and emotionally fatigued? Man, I tell you what. You're a prime target for Satan. You are a prime target for Satan. And these disciples, they're no exception. Nevertheless, instead of resting there on the shoreline, eating some of that was left over again, they had, they had a basket of food for each of them left over. Instead of sitting there and eating some of that food that was given to them and taking part in this church service, which, again, certainly from their perspective, again, would have been great. I mean, they've just been out on the road. Sometimes people would accept them. Sometimes people wouldn't. Sometimes they would have a great day. Sometimes they would struggle. And now here they are, and they've come back. And, man, it looks like, man, revival's breaking out. I want to stay here for a while. But instead of being allowed to do that, Jesus makes or compels, and if you look into the meaning of that word, he basically forces them to jump on a boat and depart from what appeared to be seemingly relative safety and still obedient, the disciples head out into the dark of night and ride into an approaching storm. And I'm telling you, Am I telling you that the Lord who loves you will sometimes send you into a storm just like he sent those disciples? Yes, I am. He most certainly will. And I hope that after this morning's message, we may have a better understanding as to just, just why the Lord will do that and begin to better appreciate the value and the benefit that we can receive from that as a result. See, my hope is today, instead of being seized by fear about what the storm might take from you, we learn and begin to appreciate what the storm will give you instead. You see, growth, strength, and spiritual maturity for the Christian doesn't come overnight or by living a life of smooth sailing. Let me say that again. Growth, strength, and spiritual maturity for Christians does not come overnight or by living a life of smooth sailing. It is through the trials in life that God grows us. It's through these trials that he establishes us in him. God allows tailor-made storms to enter our lives. He allows difficulties, and yeah, he allows hardships. Sometimes God will even just send you straight into the midst of a storm. Now, before we get right back into our text, I'm going to point out what I think are two major themes that we need to focus on moving forward. First is this. There had to be some kind of extreme danger there for the disciples if they had remained on the shore. 
And this is evidenced by the earnestness and the quickness and the forcefulness in which Jesus compelled them to leave. Secondly, there also must have been something of great importance for them to learn while they were out there in that storm. In other words, there was a vital opportunity for spiritual growth out there. So what was the danger? Jesus compelled or made the disciples leave because, as we read over in John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him a king. Those men, which men? The men that had just got fed. Well, they had seen the sign that Jesus done. They said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, what was the sign he had done? The way Jesus had provided bread for the multitude out of the open air, I guess something like in the wilderness, it reminded those men of how God had worked through Moses to feed Israel with manna. And you see, they viewed their oppression and the control by Rome similar to the slavery that Israel had experienced under Egypt. Now, I like what the brother said. We're slaves to something. These men, much like of all of Israel at the time, were looking for a similar type of deliverance from their promised Messiah. Of course, we now know that the deliverance offered by Jesus is far greater than any freedom than just earthly slavery. They said, truly, this is the prophet that Moses predicted. He predicted this in Deuteronomy 18.15, where he says, The Lord your God would raise up a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. If this coming prophet was supposed to be like Moses, it made sense they would also feed the people miraculously like Moses had done. The people, including the the weakened, fatigued disciples, the people, including the disciples, were in danger of domesticating Jesus, turning him into a local God who would give them what they wanted rather than recognizing him as the Savior they needed. So that's, that's the problem in the world today. They want to domesticate God. They want to put God on a leash. They want to put God in a box so they can open that box and pull out of it whatever they want and ignoring what it is they need. They wanted deliverance from Rome. He was offering deliverance from sin. They were wanting a king of kings. He was there as Lord of lords. They were missing, missing the point. And those disciples were missing it too. So what was of such great importance for them while they were out there in the storm? That Jesus was far more than just a teacher. He was more than just a prophet. Jesus was more than just a king. He was and is the Son of God. And it took being out there on that storm for them to see it. You see, effectiveness comes to the follower of Jesus through those storms in our life. They shape us. They mold us. And there are storms in all of our lives. There's no one immune. 
I've said it last week. I'll say it again. We could say there's three types of people here today. Those who are going through a storm right now, those who are just about to come out of one, or those about to enter one. They're there. They're real. And some of them come by our own sinful mistakes, as I've said. Others come because other people have sinned. As they exercise their free will, their free will sometimes will get you caught up in it. And then, yeah, sometimes, just like with these disciples, God would lovingly send us into the storm. And that leaves us wondering, well, why, God? Isn't there an easier way? They were safer. If you get nothing else from this message today, I hope you get this right here. They were safer in that storm in the middle of God's will than they were on the shoreline out of his will. You get that? They were safer out in the middle of that storm in the middle of God's will than they were on the shores of life out of God's will. Just because you're going where Jesus wants you to go and doing what Jesus wants you to do doesn't mean that everything is going to be smooth. In fact, most likely it won't. And that's what Jesus was showing those 12 when he sent them out. He said, look, some of them, they're going to receive you. Great. But some of them, they're not going to receive you. And what you do, you dust the shoes off and you turn and walk away because not everybody's going to take you in. It's not always going to be great selling, guys. Verses 23 and 24, Matthew read. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Now check this out. John chapter 6, verse 19 says, After they had rowed about three or four miles. Here it is, we're told that it was in the darkest time of the night, about the third or the fourth watch. Jesus is up on top of a mountaintop. They are three to four miles out off the shore, out in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the dark, in the middle of a raging storm. But in spite of the distance, in spite of the dark, in spite of the storm, Mark chapter 6 verse 48 says, He saw them. He saw them. The 102nd Psalm says in verse 19, He looked down from his holy heights. The Lord gazed out of heaven to earth to hear the prisoners groaning, to set free those condemned to die. The 34th Psalm, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all of my fears. Verse 6, this Poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he, he, his ears are open to their cry for help. The 33rd Psalm, verse 18, but look, the Lord keeps his eyes on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, 
My constant friend is he. For his eye is on the sparrow, and my friend, I know he watches me. I sing, I sing because I'm happy. And I sing because I'm free. For his eyes is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose all my doubts and fears. Though by, by path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give way to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. For care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. I sing. We sing. Because we're happy. We sing because we know we're free. For his eyes is on that sparrow and I know he watches you and me. You see, my friends, it's not some cruel twist of faith. It's not an act of a careless God that sends you out into the storm. There's a reason for it. And when he sends you out there, he doesn't send you out there alone. No, he has loving reasons for sending you. And he is always watchful. And no matter how far you feel from him, I mean, sometimes you feel... Man, you feel like you're so far away from God. And the more fatigued you are, the further away he feels. No matter how dark the skies, no matter how violent the storms are, he's always there for you. Jesus sent his disciples right into the heart of the storm. But what the word also says is that he came to them and met with them in the midst of that storm. He personally and physically displayed the most often repeated promise in God's word by his people. I am with you always. In the storm, in the dark valley, in the den of lions, in times of trials and tribulation, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And in verse 25, it says, Jesus came toward them. Now, I wish I could tell you this morning that when you come to Jesus, all your problems will be over. But I can't do that. And I wish I could tell you this morning, when you give your life to God, which I hope you have, and if you haven't, I hope you do, I wish I could tell you, though, when you do, it all be clear sailing. But I can't do that either. And I wish I could tell you that following Jesus would mean an easy life on an easy road. But I honestly can't do that either. But here's what I can tell you. Life is tough for everyone, including Christians. But as a follower of Jesus, you will never face those storms of life alone. God is always watching us. God is always available. He is always caring. And we see those three truths illustrated for us in our text here this morning. Jesus is walking on the water coming toward them. He is walking on the storms of life coming toward you today. And this is a true miracle. 
For Jesus to walk on the water, this was a miracle. This was something that the Old Testament told them only God could do. In Job 9, 8, it says, God alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. So by doing this miracle, Jesus wasn't just demonstrating here. Listen, Jesus was demonstrating to these disciples who just before were willing to make him a king, who were all caught up in all the huss and the bus and all the... All the fuss about trying to make him a king and, oh, we're going to overthrow Rome. He is now, in the midst of that storm, revealing that he is God in the flesh. But verse 26 says, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Sometimes and often our fear of what the storm brings and storm has in store and what the storm may take, sometimes our fear prevents us from recognizing and receiving that which God has for us. Their fear was making them blind to the greatest truth that could ever be revealed. Recognizing their fear, immediately, verse 27, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now what we have following here, Oh, we can, I'm going I'm to try not to chase squirrels. I'm not going to chase squirrels. And this was part of my problem when I was trying to prepare for this morning because I get to this, this scripture and I want to go over here and I want to go over there and I'm not going to do that. We're going to talk about Peter walking on the water. And, uh, man, folks beat up on Peter. Man, he took his eyes off God and he started to sink. But listen, at least he got out of the boat. And oh, when Jesus said, oh, you a little faith. But look what a little bit of his faith allowed him to do. I don't know about you, but I tell you what, my little bit of faith has never let these 260 pounds walk on anything other than hard ground. Peter answered, said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to seek and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, my friends, I don't believe Jesus was just speaking to Peter here. I believe he is speaking to all twelve and even us today. Why do you doubt? Why do you have such little faith? And here, here's a, a very telling telling verse in John chapter 6 verse 21 it says then then they were willing to take him on the boat that means until that point they weren't willing and I'd say in fact they were completely incapable of letting him in the boat and why Because they were blind to who he really is. And it wasn't until after this storm. And it wasn't until after God had revealed to them. Yet again, I am the son of God. I am God in the flesh. It wasn't until then that they were able to accept him and allow him in the boat. They had a problem before the storm. Mark 6, verse 51 and 52 says, They were completely astounded. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. See, Jesus was doing more than just feeding some hungry folk. 
He was trying to teach them something, show them something there with that miracle. And they missed it. For them, it was all about filling the belly. He was wanting to teach them about filling the soul. But because they had missed the point, because they didn't see him for who he was. But this was a, this was a huge miracle. But because they missed it, it says here in verse 52, instead their hearts were hardened. Oh, don't you know sometimes God might send you into storms to soften your hard heart? Verse 32 says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. In closing, God sent the disciples into the storm to prepare their hearts for a greater truth. A truth that prior to the storm they couldn't accept because of the hardness of their hearts. Jesus was also concerned about their little or lack of faith. And by sending them away from this crowd into the dark of night with an approaching storm, Jesus was in fact not hurting them, but in reality protecting them and increasing their faith. And consider this, right after this. And again, the sixth chapter of John, it says the very next day. The very next day. Jesus proceeds to talk about the bread of life. He's giving the true meaning behind the miracle of the 5,000. A meaning that the 12 earlier, prior to the storm, had missed out on, just like everybody else. And for those who had not gone through the storm, now hearing God further explain how he is the bread of life and how he's going to be crucified and how his body is going to be broken. The disciples and those that were following him who had not gone through the storm, their response was in verse 60, Therefore many of his disciples heard this. They said, This teaching is too hard. Who can accept it? And as a result... From that moment on, in verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. But because God had revealed his true nature to those 12 disciples out there in the storm, they finally recognized the storms of this life had stripped away their anticipation, their assumptions. In verse 67, Jesus says to the 12, you don't want to go too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the very words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And it seems at, at this time, and it's either at this exact same time or shortly thereafter, Peter is asked, when, we are, when they were praying privately, his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, the ancient prophets that come back. That's what the people on the crowds, that's what all those men were thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But you, he asked, now that you've gone through the storm, yeah. now that you've seen me walk on the water, now that you've seen me reach out and pull Peter out of the, the sinking water, now that you finally invited me in your boat, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God, Messiah. Right. 
I struggled with God not knowing how to finish or end this message today and how to call for an invitation. So I'm just going to say it this way, and I'm going to turn it over to the worship team to sing us out. But I'm going to say this in closing. Don't fear the storm. Appreciate it for what it's there for. Accept it. Accept what God has for you in story. And remind yourself, remind yourself, God's right there with you. And if you're going through the storm this morning, and I know some of you are. Guys, I've struggled this week too. I've struggled this week going through this message. And there were times when I had to kick myself and go, Daniel, aren't you reading what I'm reading? Aren't you getting this message that you're trying to preach? I, I had to preach it to myself this week. If you're going through storms in life, be like Peter. Cry out, Jesus, save me. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior today, like I said, guys, I wish I could tell you it was going to be all smooth. I wish I could tell you that you would never have any problems again. And if someone is telling you that, they're trying to deceive you. Because the first time you, you, you run into a trouble and you run into a hard time because life is hard, you're going to start doubting everything, including your faith and including God. But let me tell you something. Life is hard. There's valleys and there's mountaintop experiences too. We've got to appreciate those valleys because that's where the growth takes place, guys. We wouldn't appreciate those mountaintop experiences if it wasn't for the valleys. If you're in the valley this morning, be thankful because there's a mountaintop in your path. If you're on a mountaintop this morning, be thankful that you're on a mountaintop this morning. But be thankful that God is going to be with you and lead you through that valley that's coming. Let's all stand. Let's pray and I'm going to turn the service over to our worship team. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and I'm thankful for the message. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for those that are here that have heard your word preached. And I ask, Lord... Not for my glory, but for your glory, Lord. If there be somebody here that doesn't know you as your Savior, that today would be the day that they accept you. Father, Lord, not for my glory, but for yours. If there be somebody here today that's struggling with something, Lord, that, Lord, they're, they're in the storm this morning and they need help, Lord. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day you come walking on that water. You reveal yourself to them and let them today see you. And today will be the day that they let you in their boat. Father, please lead, God, and direct us, Lord. Have your will and way, Lord, in our hearts and our lives. Amen.